Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. Amen. <clears throat> you know, Jesus said, when two or more are gathered in my name, I'll be in your midst. There's two or more in this place this morning. And I think one thing that Jesus causes us to do is pray. I mean, he modeled that for us. We know that from Luke 11 and such a sweet time. Um, just to read the scripture, read the prayers of the saints and affirm those. We pray over, we read what we know to be true. God is faithful and he is true. Amen. I'd like to read the text this morning. Um, it's out of the book of Acts, chapter 4, if you want to turn there. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 23. <clears throat> I still hear some pages turning. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon the th their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Thank you, Andy. Good morning, everyone. Um, did you miss the hour of sleep or no? Did you just fly right through it? No. Uh, I missed it, especially after being in the mountains with uh, about 30 teenagers uh, this weekend. So uh, uh, hopefully after tonight's baptism service, we will get a little bit more sleep. Um, I do want to encourage you to come tonight. Uh, be a part of this service. We have four people being baptized tonight. Isn't that amazing? And we're going to have a great night of worship uh, with that as well. So come tonight and support. Even if you don't know who's being baptized, this is a part of what we do as a church family. So I encourage you to come. If you are, <coughs> excuse me, if you're a regular at Res, you should be asking, why are we not in the Gospel of Luke? 
And uh, so, okay, you were good. That's good. Why are we not in the gospel? We are trucking through the gospel of Luke. We've been doing that for a little over a year. Um, and we got, we, we, we just, this is the way we do it at Res. If you're new, we just go, we prayerfully pick a book of the Bible and we just study straight through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, trying to understand what's there. What does the Lord have to say to us through his word? And for a year and a couple of months, We've been working through the Gospel of Luke, and we reached chapter 11, where Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, Lord, will you teach us to pray? And that question has just resonated in our church family for, this is the fifth week now. Lord, teach us to pray. I'm just, I want to be transparent with you. I want you to know and understand that I am not a guru. I don't have everything figured out. I don't even consider myself to be a Bible scholar. I've been called to be a pastor and a shepherd and a teacher of the word. But if you've ever done any teaching at all whatsoever, you know what it's like when you have those moments where you are learning and teaching at the same time. And I see teachers nodding their heads. Yep, we know exactly what that's like. And that's what it's been like for all the elders as we've just paused right here on this question. Lord, would you teach us to pray? And to be honest with you, what I've felt more than anything is that I'm an absolute amateur when it comes to prayer. Prayer is not foreign to me. I pray regularly. I pray daily. I pray multiple times a day. But the more we stood on Jesus' response to the question, will you teach us to pray? And this is the way I think Luke renders it. It's how it went down. His disciples asked, will you teach us to pray, Jesus, like you pray? Jesus was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer during the days of his incarnation. He genuinely and authentically depended on his Father through prayer and what Jesus' answers revealed to us is that it's not that our any and all praying to the God of heaven and earth is a good thing. Any and all praying to the God of heaven and earth is a good thing. Okay. It's a good thing. But I, I think there are, there's a maturity we can experience in our praying. There's a growth that we can experience in prayer and with that growth and with that maturity in our prayer life, I do think comes an increased level of effectiveness in our prayer life. I I asked the students this weekend, I'm like, I said, look, we're we're not at church. 30 middle and high school teenagers in the room. I said, look, we're not at church. I sat down on on the stage right in front of them and I said, Listen, just be honest with me. I know you think of me as Pastor Bradley, but just forget that for a moment. Let's just be real. How many of you have really questioned whether or not prayer really works? How many of you have questioned whether or not prayer even really matters? And you know what? My kids are in the room. Your kids are in the room. Every single hand in that room went up. They wonder, what's the point? Are we really talking? This is what we talked about with the kids this weekend. We are praying to a living God. That was session one. We are praying to a God, session two, who is all about his own glory. And if our life is going to count, if it's going to matter, this was session three, then we've got to realize Our relationship with him cannot be on our terms, which changes the way we pray. 
I think a lot of our praying begins with the presupposition that if I pray the right words, I say the right things, I say it the right way and the right tone of voice with the right amount of time, that God's going to do things on my terms. And that's just not what the Bible teaches. It's just so clear that God has invited us, the God of heaven and earth, who is real, who's alive, who is all about his own glory, has invited us to be a part of that great kingdom mission, which could be summarized in the hallowing of God's name. We could not have done anything more righteous this morning than to begin this gathering by singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, right? So what are we doing in Acts? Well, the elders just felt like we weren't done talking about prayer. And so we're going to be in Acts 4 this morning. Are we going to get back to Luke? Yes. But let me tell you this. It's going to be after Easter before we get back to Luke because I'm really excited about this. What we're going to start next week is what we're calling the first ever at res Easter season. If you think about how we do Advent, there's a four-week emphasis at Christmas on Advent, the coming of Christ, all right? We're going to do something this year that we haven't done before. That it, We're just praying and believing that God's going to do great things, and we're going to not check the box of talking about prayer and move on, but we're going to build on what the Lord's been teaching us as we look toward the empty tomb. So next Sunday... I'm going to tell you all about what this Easter season is going to be. And there's a lot involved. There's going to be stuff for you at home. There's going to be new things we're going to be doing here when we gather. And we're going to be working through some passages of Scripture, working our way up to Easter Sunday. So don't miss next week. We're going to explain it all. It's all going to come out then. Sound good? All right, let's get to the text. Something amazing has happened. Okay? Something amazing has happened. If you remember, Matthew 28, Jesus gave to his disciples what we know as the Great Commission. You could probably quote it. Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Here's what I believe about the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not a delegated task. Okay, think about that for a minute. That might jostle you a little bit. I don't think it's a delegated task, at least not in the way we typically think about delegation. Because as a leader, when I delegate things, and some of you are leaders, you lead businesses or you lead in schools or, or, or wherever, you know what it's like when you delegate something to someone. You try to find somebody who has the skills, the knowledge, and the resources to do something for you on their own, Right? If you've got to help them along the way, what's the point of paying them and delegating it to them? Does that make sense? So in that way, I don't think the Great Commission is a delegated task. Christians are not independent contractors. We are people, we talk about this all the time at Res, who participate and cooperate with the Lord Jesus, who in a slightly different way, then the days of his incarnation, meaning he's not physically, tangibly, visibly present with us right now in that way, in the way that he was with his disciples. 
But how many of you understand he's still doing stuff? His kingdom mission continues to this day through his church that is made up of people who are not independent contractors, but who are cooperators, participators with him in his kingdom work because the Great Commission is simply too large a task for us to do on our own. There are times when I say to my children, I give them instructions to do things on their own without my help. Brush your teeth, take a bath, clean your room. But then there are other times when I say, look, I need you to come do this with me because this is too big for you. It's too much for you on your own. I need you to cooperate with me. I think that's how the Great Commission works. And the, the beautiful thing, the wonderful thing is we never grow up out of that. We are always going to be dependent participators with Jesus in his kingdom work. And that's what's happened in Acts 4. Peter and John, after Jesus' resurrection and after his ascension, they're going to the temple to pray. And as they're on their way, you know this story, many of you. There's a lame man that's laid by this gate called Beautiful. He's there every day. And I think Peter and John probably over the course of several days, maybe several weeks or months, have passed this guy by because he's there every day asking for money. He's begging, he's poor, he's lame. And I wonder if Peter and John at some point didn't even give him money. But Luke tells us on this one particular day, they're passing by, the man asks for alms, and Peter looks at him and says, I don't have silver and gold. And this is my sanctified imagination. I don't have any today. But here's what I have today. I think Peter was conscious and aware, being led by the Spirit, that Jesus was up to something in this lame man's life that day. And he says, I don't have silver and gold, but here's what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. An amazing sign that turns the whole city upside down. This is the way it kind of goes down in the book of Acts in terms of the Great Commission, is that there is participation followed by a demonstration. This is what I long for, y'all. I long for this. I don't feel like I've seen enough of it in my life. And maybe you haven't either. Maybe you would feel the same way. It's going about my life just simply being attentive to Jesus and what he might want to do. Isn't that different than how we typically think? We tend to just go about our lives, doing our thing, doing our agenda, until we reach a point where we need him and then we call on him. And that, there goes our prayer life. What if we stood that on its head? What if we let the Bible stand that on its head and we went about our days saying, Jesus, I've got my agenda, I've got my appointments, I've got my plans, okay? Uh, if, if you work, you go to school, or you have a job, or if you're retired, it's, Lord, here I here am I, send me. I'm just kidding, you know. Okay. Um, you go about your days attentive to his leadership. And how he might want to make his power and presence known. And that's not something we have to manufacture. We don't have to conjure it up. We don't, we don't faith it in like we just build up this huge belief quotient and it sort of stirs Jesus to get up off his throne and do something. No, he's active 
And what if we were attentive enough for him to interrupt our schedules and he did something? He did something so powerful, so undeniable, a demonstration of his power and presence. Like we talked about last week, the kingdom breaks in. It's so powerful, it requires an explanation. That's what happened for Peter and John. A lame man is walking. Somebody's got to explain that. Because the people in the temple are asking, what is this? We know this guy. He's been here every day. How is he walking? And Jesus says, not by our power and piety that this man walked, but this is the work of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Sounds like a great altar call, doesn't it? But thousands get saved. Thousands. Imagine that. Thousands get saved. The church grows exponentially, it seems, in a matter of minutes. And then, this is how it goes. Participation, demonstration, explanation, salvation, and then, a lot of times, persecution. Sound like something you want to sign up for? Peter and John are arrested, and they're threatened by the same religious body that had Jesus killed by Rome. You better stop preaching in his name. You saw what we did to Jesus, we're going to do the same to you if you don't stop. They threaten them, and they let them go. And Luke tells us, Peter and John, who've just participated with Jesus in this amazing event that's moving this infant church forward, they go back to their friends. They go back to their church. I think that's the right way to think about it. They're among fellow believers, and you know what they do? They pray. They report everything, and they pray. I think we would do that. I think if Brian and Amber were going about their days and the Lord interrupted their schedules, and something happened. Jesus made his power and presence known. They participated with him. People were saved. A huge expansion of the kingdom takes place, but they're arrested by the powers that be and threatened. And they come back to us, and we hand you the mic, and you report to the church, hey, this is what happened as we were following the Lord. Does this sound like a fairy tale to you? I hope it doesn't, because I think this is what the Bible says is, in one sense, normal Christianity. They report everything to us. I think we would pray. Don't you? I think we would pause. I think we would, we would say, you know what? We feel small. You know, we feel powerless because, again, the Great Commission is not a delegated task. It's, it's beyond us. We're participating with Jesus, and so I think our instinct would be to pray. Here's my question. How would we pray? What would we pray? What would be our thinking about that moment that would give rise to our prayer? Let's look at what they did. Verse 24 again. Here's how they start. <laughs> we could just look at the first two words and, and be done. 
sovereign Lord. Whoa. You know what's interesting? There's a Greek word in the New Testament that's most often translated Lord, and you've probably heard it before. It's kurios. It means Lord or Master. It's not the word they use here. The word they use is, is only used a couple of times in the New Testament, and it's the Greek word from which we get our English word despot, which means absolute sovereign ruler. This is, this is the church in the face of threats, in the wake of, a wake of participation and in the face of threats, starting their prayer like this. Lord, who rules without limitation and rules absolutely. It's almost like they're saying, our sovereign, gracious dictator. That's where they start their prayer. That's fascinating to me. They start... Let's just imagine for a minute, if you put yourself in their shoes, let's not make these people, Peter and John in particular, out to be spiritual superheroes in the sense that in the face of these kinds of threats, they're not in the least bit intimidated. That they're not feeling some sense of fear or trepidation or at least a little bit of anxiousness about the fact that people who killed Jesus have looked them in the eye and said, we're going to do the same thing to you if you don't stop preaching in his name. Let's not think that they're not in the least bit intimidated by that. But they don't start their prayer with how they feel. They start their prayer with what they know to be true. What do they know to be true? True. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. If you read between the lines, you know what they're saying? In the... In the Face of these threats, Lord, sovereign Lord, who made the earth and the heavens and everything in it, including these rascals that are threatening us. You made them and you're ruling over them. Do you realize how did Jesus, when he, his disciples asked, were, asked him to teach them to pray, he said, pray this way or pray like this, Father in heaven, hallow your name. We have no basis to pray that prayer if God is not completely sovereign even over the wicked deeds of men. We have, listen, if you take away the sovereignty of God or diminish it in the slightest, we have no business praying over Russia and the Ukraine and our brothers and sisters who are living through that. Father in heaven, in that tragedy and that wickedness and that evil that's taking place over there, hallow your name. We have no basis to pray that way if it's not true that God is sovereign. Where does the church get a notion like that? I mean, this is Acts 4. They don't have Romans yet. 
Where did they get a notion like that? But, you know, it was the Apostle Paul who comes along in Romans 8 and Romans 9. He starts talking about predestination and we're all going to be conformed to the image of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That, was, that comes a lot later. Where did these guys get that notion? Is that something they could root in biblical truth? Look what they say. Verse 25. For through the mouth of our father David, we know who that is, right? Your servant, he said by the Holy Spirit. So there, Lord, don't let me go down a rabbit trail. There are some in the church world today that are talking about the Old Testament like we don't need it. Did you just, did you hear this? Here's the New Testament church saying, David, under inspiration of the Spirit, wrote this. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot invade? You know what? Let's just go read it. Psalm 2. They're quoting Psalm 2. This is where the thinking for their prayer to a sovereign Lord comes from. At least this particular prayer, this is where they rooted it. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. I love this. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like the potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, Putin, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. What a powerful thought to picture early church in Acts 4 in the face of threats, living and breathing this. Why do the nations rage? They don't even talk to the Lord about how they might feel. Not that that's bad, because this same David, under inspiration of the Spirit, does talk to the Lord in some Psalms about how he feels. <laughs> okay, so that's not wrong. That's why I say that any and all prayer to the living God is good. And there are times when we need to talk to him about how we feel. We need to pour out all, if, if you're going to pour out feelings of fear and anger and frustration, if you're going to pour that out, pour it out on the one who can handle it, who will give ear to you and offer you the comfort of his spirit. But there are times when my feelings have to get in the back seat because what the Lord's invited me into or what I'm facing, what I'm going through, what's got to take the lead, what's got to take the wheel is not how I feel. 
But what's true is what's true. God is sovereign. People can plot. You know, and, and this, psalm, this psalm has a prophetic edge to it. Right? You, you probably are picking up on it. I don't, I don't think the believers in Acts 4 are trying to dissect this psalm prophetically. I think they're just living and breathing the sovereignty of God in the face of threats. And that leads them to interpret recent events in light of the truth that they're inhaling and exhaling in Psalm 2. Let's keep reading, verse 27. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. This is one of the most amazing statements in all the Bible. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. If you don't have a category in your mind... For a sovereign, good, righteous, holy, perfect, loving, all-wise, all-knowing God to wield the wickedness of men like pawns in his hands ultimately for his good purpose, you need to let the Bible create that category for you. I know that's a hard pill to swallow. I know that. I, I feel that too. But here, the church, in the face of threats, was saying, God, we know it goes a thousand years back to your servant David where he, under inspiration of the Spirit, wrote these words that you are sovereign and the plots and deeds of wicked men, they're futile because they're ultimately only going to serve your good purpose and we saw that real time. We saw that with Jesus. We know they didn't kill him because they just took a notion what you planned. It's what you predestined to save us. You just hadn't even made a request yet. If, if, if I'd have been in that moment, if I'd have been with him, if I'd have been Peter and John, it would have been so tempting, so tempting to just fall to my knees and go, oh God, I'm scared. They're going to kill me. I'm trying to obey, but scarier than I thought it'd be. But if I imagine myself being led by the Spirit, I think, to root my thinking in Psalm 2 and begin to pray, Sovereign Lord, don't you just feel like we're not there, we haven't been threatened, so it's, it's hard for us to put ourselves in their shoes. But when I do, when I imagine that, and I imagine their prayer, and I stew on it, and I meditate on it a little bit, I all of a sudden start to feel like I'm not even worried about how I might feel anymore. Because you're sovereign. Why do the Gentiles rage? They're praying to a sovereign heavenly father who created everything and is working his good purpose in all things. That's what they know. Now, finally, we come to their request. Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats 
Grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They never ask for protection. That's startling to me. I don't think that means we should never pray for protection. Let's don't, Acts, the book of Acts is not prescriptive, it's descriptive. You understand? We're talking about what happened. And in this moment, the appropriate prayer was not for protection. The appropriate prayer was this, because here's what they realize. They know God is sovereign. They know God is up to something. He's moving his kingdom forward. And they know that as he moves his kingdom forward, there's going to be opportunities for them to participate. He's going to keep doing stuff. He's going to stretch out his hand, and miracles and signs and wonders are going to happen that are going to require explanation. And when there's explanation, there's going to be salvation, and probably more often than not, there's going to be persecution on the other side of that because some are not going to receive. This is is the way the kingdom moves forward. It's the way at least the early church got going, and I think they see that, and I think they know that. So they don't pray for protection. They just say, Lord, we trust you. You're sovereign. We know that you know what you're doing. Our lives are in your hands, and you're in control. So as you do what you're going to do, as we participate with you and cooperate with you in what you're going to do, here's our only request. And this is what leads me to believe they might have at least been feeling some fear. Keep us bold. Keep us bold. Have they been bold? Yeah, they've already been bold. They boldly proclaimed when the lame man was healed. But here here they are saying, Lord, in the face of these threats, maybe it is a prayer about how they feel. But it doesn't emphasize that. What it emphasizes is God's sovereignty and their request to keep us bold. Keep us proclaiming. Don't let us shrink back. Doesn't that sound like, Father in heaven, how your name, your kingdom come, give us daily bread. Doesn't that sound like that? Do you see? That's why we talk about Jesus' words in what we know as the Lord's Prayer It's not wrong to recite them verbatim, but that's not the primary purpose for which Jesus gave them. He gave them so that we would have a pattern, a sense of priority in our praying, at least if we're going to pray like Jesus prayed. Give us what we need. Sovereign Lord, you made everything. You rule even over the wicked deeds of men. We know you're going to stretch out your hand and perform signs and wonders in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We know you're going to hallow your name. We know you've invited us to participate with you in that. So in the face of these threats, keep us bold to proclaim your name. And then, verse 31, I love this. In fact, before you go there, don't don't look at it yet. 
<laughs> I'm almost done. Remember the last verse, verse 13 of Luke 11. Did I give you all that one? Can we put that on the screen? I think I gave it to you. Let, just look on the screen for this one. Remember when Jesus, he, he, he answered their question. He tells them a parable about persistence. And then with the famous words about ask, keep on asking, seek, keep on seeking, knock, keep on knocking. The doors will be opened. You will receive, okay? You will find. And then he starts talking about how we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children. Look at this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, when you pray this way, how much more will the heavenly Father give the, let's say it together, the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's, that's a guarantee. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. For some of you, if you're, if you're not well-versed in what the scriptures have to say about the Holy Spirit, that might feel like a little wah, wah, wah. Like, God, what I really need is money. What I really need is to not be sick. What I really need is for these people that are threatening me or giving me a hard time to go away. That's what I really, I, I don't, the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure what to do with that. But what we said a couple of weeks ago was that it, it only takes just a little bit of attentiveness to the Scripture to realize the Holy Spirit is the best gift. And, and, and look what happens here, verse 31. When they had prayed, what did they pray? Sovereign Lord, you made everything. You're ruling over everything. We know you're in charge of this, even these threats that are coming this way. We know you're going to keep doing stuff, so keep us bold. That's our request. When they had prayed all that, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. What in the world does that mean? I, I don't know for sure. I, I looked up the word in the Greek and it just means shake. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> super profound there. Did God just reach his mighty hand down? Just wiggle the building? I don't know. But whatever that means, whatever he did, you know one of the things I'm learning about God is he is a very creative communicator. Is he not? I mean, some of you are smiling and nodding because you know what it's like. You've walked with the Lord long enough to know that there are those times when he just subtly drops something in front of you, and then there are times where he just grabs you by the face and goes, listen, in some way or another. It may look different for us. It might be while you're reading the scriptures and the Lord just grabs your soul. He's a creative communicator. They prayed for boldness, and what did he do? He shook the building. And I imagine if I'm in that room, I'm ready to start chest bumping people. <laughs> the prayer for boldness was answered. It's almost like God is saying to them, oh, as they declare, you're sovereign. You're powerful. These rascals, they might threaten us and it might scare us a little, but we know you're in charge. And it's almost like God said to them in his own way, you're right. 
Almost like he said to his children, don't be afraid. And then they were all filled with the Spirit. And what did they do? They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You want to pray that way? You want to pray like that? said it every week. It's not wrong. It's not wicked to pray, Lord, bless me, heal me, keep me, protect me. But let's, without forsaking those prayers entirely, because I don't think they're wrong, I think the Lord welcomes them. I, I, I find God to be a very kind and gracious Heavenly Father. One who says, come to me, run to me, find shelter, under the shadow of my wings. But would you let the Lord grow you, grow me, grow us in our praying in such a way that as we are attentive to how he might want us to participate with him, even in our own personal struggles, because here's what I know Probably the thing that's on the forefront of most of our minds this morning is our personal battles and struggles and crises and hardships. And what if, what if, what if we, we got such a big view of our sovereign God that we really started to take Jesus at his word when he said, you know what, your father knows what you need before you even ask. Seek first the kingdom. All these things will be added. We, we, we tend to think about all these things will be added and we fail to emphasize seek first the kingdom. I don't know how this all hits you this morning and I can't take time to try to measure it out in terms of what I'm, I might, how I might give examples of all the different things that we're facing this morning. But here's what I know. If we could just meditate for a moment on the opening words of their prayer, oh, sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth, who rules absolutely, who, who will make his power and presence known, and we want to be a part of that, would you keep us bold? Would you fill us with your spirit? Maybe the Lord will lead you to pray that way this morning as we sing this song. It's called, He Will Hold Me Fast. And I love this song because it, it really does emphasize, it highlights the fact that we we are held by our Father in his loving, strong hands, powerful hands that can shake buildings and move mountains. And we, we are there. And my prayer is that it would grow our confidence this morning in our trust in this God who's invited us to pray. Hallow your name. Let your kingdom come. Let me pray and we're going to sing. Let's stand together. Oh Lord, and in and, and saying that, I, I want to echo the same kinds of words that the believers spoke in Acts 4. I know you're sovereign. I know you rule absolutely. And <clears throat> we believe that. We trust that. We're confident in that. And we ask this morning that you would comfort our fears, that you would 
encourage us and build us up in the same way that you built up the believers in Acts 4 so that we might be bold participants with you. Fill us with your spirit, I pray, as we, we meditate on just your power and your sovereignty and how you are holding us this morning. Knowing that you hold us, we can scatter in just a minute in your name, boldly proclaiming you are to be magnified and praised in all the earth. Do that work in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.